What's up, everybody? It's Austin Rivers from Off Guard, and I've got some exciting news. Off Guard, hosted by me and my guy Pasha Hagigi, is officially moving to our own podcast feed. We are now dropping two shows every week. Me and Pasha go way back and talk so much hoops already that we figured it was time to fire up the mics and let you in on these conversations. Every week, Pasha and myself will hit on the biggest stories happening around the league. Tap into the show twice a week on our new Off Guard feed on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. It's Off the Pike, presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA Finals starts now, and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back and better than ever for the NBA playoffs on FanDuel. Find what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like 3-Minute Markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props, player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of this episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus, 18 plus in DC and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. Welcome into Off the Pike. I'm Brian Barrett. We talked about Bill Belichick's future and we got into the Celtics with Tom Giles from NBC Sports Boston. That was a ton of fun talking with Giles. You'll hear that in just a little bit. Jamie and I will give you our picks. Thanks to our friends at FanDuel in just a little bit. The final regular season week of the NFL, the final week of the season for the New England Patriots. But I wanted to hit on this story that my buddies Andrew Callahan and Doug Kide put out in the Herald. The story came out after we recorded with Giles. So I just wanted to get into some of the details that you had from Doug Kide and Andrew Callahan. It's a great story, and I'm sure most of you have read it, but if you haven't, I would encourage you to do so because really good reporting by Callahan and Doug. And those guys, we know, they're really good reporters. But just to point this out, in the article, they referenced the fact that the Herald interviewed more than a dozen team sources who spoke on the condition of anonymity for the fear of retribution from the Patriots. So they talked to a lot of different people. We're not talking about like one disgruntled, not that we'd expect this, but they didn't talk to one guy that was pissed off or two guys that were pissed off. They talked to more than a dozen people. So there is a lot of different people that they went through here for this story, which obviously brings it even more credibility when you talk to that many people. And of course, Callahan had the big story last year as well at the end of the season with the whole Matt Patricia thing and how dysfunctional the organization was. So just to give you some background there, this thing is really well-researched. It's really well-written by Doug and Callahan. And as I mentioned earlier, go and read it if you haven't read it. But I do want to get to some of the big nuggets in the story. And actually, this is interesting because Callahan actually mentioned this on the pod a few weeks back. So from the article, a year ago, such disaster caused Kraft to push for coaching changes, which led to the rehiring of ex-Patriots assistant Bill O'Brien last January. Belichick, according to sources, preferred to keep Patricia and grow together. Instead, Belichick relented and O'Brien returned as offensive coordinator. Okay, so 
this like when Callahan told me this a couple of weeks ago when he was on the pod, I was like, whoa, he really wanted him to come back. It sort of proves that Belichick's a loyal guy. And clearly he was, in this case, blinded. He thought that after everything that went wrong with Patricia last year, that they could get it right the following season. It's just from my perspective, they had no chance at getting it right with Patricia, right? It was that bad last season. And I thought the idea going back to training camp of 2022 and really the spring of 2022, when we started to hear some of the ideas they had, I thought the idea of, hey, they want to run a more Shanahan style offense, like, okay, that makes sense. Like it's one of the best offensive systems in the NFL. We see it all over the league. But the problem was, and this is why it made no sense to bring Patricia back. Remember from Callahan's reporting last year with Karen Garigian, they would, the offensive players would ask the coaching staff, hey, what happens if the defense did does this? And they didn't have an answer. So like they tried to run a system and they didn't have the experience to run the system. So the idea made sense, but they couldn't execute the idea. And the fact that the coaching staff couldn't tell the players, hey, this is what happens when the defense does that, tells you that it just wasn't going to work. So it was time to move on. Now, getting into some more juicier nuggets here. Here's what aggravates me about the O'Brien hiring. And I said it at the time, going back to when they hired Bill O'Brien, but this is from the article. O'Brien was the only candidate of the five he interviewed with coordinator experience. Three were ex-players Belichick had either coached or crossed paths with in New England, one of who, sources believe, interviewed for a different position he would later accept, offensive line coach Adrian Clem. Okay, so in other words, we were hearing Adrian Clem, going back to last offseason, interviewed for the offensive coordinator position, right? He was not even the offensive coordinator at Oregon. He was the offensive line coach at Oregon. We were hearing he was interviewing for the offensive coordinator position when in reality he wasn't. They just brought him in. So it made it look, it made it appear like all these guys that were coming in for interviews, it made it appear that they were actually interviewing more guys than just Bill O'Brien. When in reality, they were basically filling out what you needed to do according to NFL rules. They knew the whole time they were going to hire Bill O'Brien. And remember, they also brought in Keenan McCardell, who I actually worked with previously when years ago when I was doing an NFL show out of Houston. Great guy. But they brought in Keenan McCardell because he had played for Bill. So it was like Bill just brought in guys that he used to coach and really or and they really didn't have a chance to get the gig. Right. They just brought him in when they knew that it was going to be O'Brien. So maybe Bill just wanted to catch up with his own guys. Maybe he thought he'd be doing Keenan McCardell a favor. It's like, hey, if he interviewed for this offensive coordinator position, Maybe next year one opens up for him, right? So they knew the whole time it would be O'Brien. And this is what is sort of problematic about this with me is Bill and Robert Kraft as well. They needed somebody that they knew, right? And I just think about you look at the Texans right now, a guy that I've brought up before on the pod, Bobby Slowick, who is doing an outstanding job with Houston, with a rookie quarterback in C.J. Stroud, he comes from the Shanahan coaching tree. He coached with Shanahan in San Francisco, coached in Washington, had a little detour with pro football focus. Believe me, that's not the reason I love the guy, but he's been really good. And you would figure, we know that Bill was enamored and we know he loves Mike Shanahan. Mike Shanahan, of course, famously stuck up for him during Spygate. He said, I wish we had thought of that. But anyway, just getting back to the original point here is Bill likes the Shanahan offense. So Bobby Slowick could run the Shanahan offense. You would at least think you would, would want to interview more people instead of just being rigid and stubborn and saying, hey, let's bring back a guy that I have experience with, right? So that's what sort of aggravates me about this is it wasn't a true search. It was just Bill O'Brien's the guy. And that to me is just bad practice. Don't you want to get as many 
ideas as you can possibly get into the building. That to me is just, that's bad practice. That is a bad way to go about hiring your offensive coordinator, especially considering your offensive system was so broken last year. So why wouldn't you get more opinions? So that to me was just aggravating. In ter- and we kind of had an idea that that was the scenario there in terms of they knew it was going to be O'Brien the whole time. Like they really weren't serious about other candidates. Like Nick Cayley was one of the in-house candidates and it felt like even he didn't really have a real chance. And of course, then he left the organization. But to me, that's just the aggravating part. And good job by Doug and Callahan getting that information because it felt that way. And now we know it's true. All right, more on O'Brien. So this is from the article. According to league sources, some assistants came to believe O'Brien wanted to clean house and build his own offensive staff upon arriving in January, but Belichick denied him. Belichick allowed one hire. Lying, that is Will Lying, who is an O'Brien guy, worked with him at Penn State, worked with him at Houston, worked with him at Alabama. He replaced Nick Cayley. The article goes on to say to onlookers, a clear hierarchy developed with O'Brien and his assistants. There was Lying and assistant quarterbacks coach Evan Rothstein, then everyone else. Okay, so this dynamic, one team source said, was completely fucked, okay? They go on to say in the article, O'Brien also pulled the offense closer to him, running more unit meetings, which involve all offensive players, than Belichick and Patricia had the year before. Consequently, positional meetings became scarce, sources said, which limited individual time shared between players and their position coach. Most everything followed O'Brien. Okay, so first of all, O'Brien... It seems like, at least from my perspective here, and you can make your own sort of determinations from the article, O'Brien's a control freak. He wanted to control this whole thing when ordinarily you'd have guys having meetings with their position coach. O'Brien's like, no, we're doing it as an entire offense. And look, maybe part of this is O'Brien wanted to hire his own coaching staff in terms of the offensive side of the ball, which to me, even if you want to argue, hey, that offensive side of the ball, there's not enough experience there. Bill O'Brien wants more guys he's familiar with. He's not the head coach of the team. So Belichick could easily make that determination like he did. Okay, you can bring in one assistant, but you're not getting rid of my staff and putting your whole staff together. But he clearly didn't trust the rest of the guys, the position coaches, et cetera. I mean, that's why we saw, we've seen guys where they're in a situation where they're not even having these meetings instead it's just Bill O'Brien's meetings right according to the article from Callahan and Doug Kite so to me this is just like this just sort of symbolizes what a control freak Bill O'Brien is even if you say well he has justification to do this because he doesn't trust the coaches underneath him I just don't know like I don't really think there's a precedent if an offensive coordinator gets hired that he puts his whole staff together now maybe he just looked at it and said hey these guys are too green to work with so to speak. But to me, that just seems like this is a complete dumpster fire. And as one source told Callahan and Doug, this thing was completely fucked. Okay. They go on to say, O'Brien's frustration with the wide receivers and offensive line coaches began bubbling as soon as late spring. Okay. So we all knew that there was an issue with the receiving core, and we all knew that there was an issue with the offensive line. We all thought that going into the season. We all thought that in the offseason. So in the article, they go on to say, outside of the front office, a few staffers privately pointed fingers back at decision makers about the talent available. That is safe for Clem, who confronted director of player personnel Matt Groh early in the season. So you had the offensive line coach, who we all know, like the personnel was bad offensive line wise. 
Adrian Clem is going at Matt Groh to a point where they basically, in the article, say it was a loud exchange that reverberated throughout the organization. Remember, Adrian Clem was dealing with a health situation and he hasn't been with the team lately. But the point being is you have the offensive line coach going after the guy that's running the organization. And remember, or by title, director of personnel, Macro having that title, like the highest ranking official outside of Bill Belichick, if you will. But the point being is you have a first year offensive line coach that has come in and he's come to work with Bill because he's a former draft pick of Bill. Bill is with it, with the guy that's running his front office, or at least by title running the front office. We know Bill is doing it. Those guys are in an argument because of the lack of offensive line personnel. Okay, so they go on to say in the article, in the season opener, a banged up offense started late round rookies, City Sow and Antonio Mafia at guard, swing tackle Kelvin Anderson. All three arrived that offseason because Belichick and Grow believed the best available tackles in free agency and the draft had been overrated, according to a source. Instead of investing significant money or high draft picks in proven starters, they opted for veteran discounts in Anderson and Riley Reef and three late round rookies. Remember, we've talked about or we talked about Reef at the beginning of the season. This was a journeyman offensive tackle that had just played for two terrible offensive lines. Nobody else wanted him in the NFL, and he was bad during training camp to the point that they pushed him in a guard. He gets injured at guard in a preseason game, and he's out for the season. And we've talked about guys that were available, the Mike McGlinchies, et cetera. So they thought, hey, we can just fix the line. It's not worth spending on these guys. They're not using, it's not worth spending high draft picks because everybody's overrated. And instead, what they'd find out is, okay, well, maybe these guys you thought were overrated, whether it be in the draft or whether it be in free agency, it's a lot better than the situation that the Patriots were dealing with the majority of the season, right? Now, they go on to say this, the closest the Patriots came to fielding a game-changing receiver was during a free agent visit in June, when DeAndre Hopkins flew in and Belichick offered him a contract, but weeks later, Hopkins signed for more money in Tennessee. Okay, now remember, here's the irritating part about that. The Patriots, as we all know, were desperate for a number one receiver. They had more salary cap space than the Tennessee Titans, but what they did is what they used to do during the Brady era. They said, hey, here's our contract. But the problem is the Patriots didn't realize or Bill Belichick didn't realize it's not the same attractive destination to play for. Like when you were coming here and you were signing with the Patriots and Tom Brady was the quarterback, basically it was, hey, you're going to the AFC title game. That was like the bottom for the Patriots. What was it? Eight, nine years in a row, they made it to the AFC championship game. So, okay, even if I'm playing for a little less money, I have a legit chance to win a Super Bowl, right? Like that was sort of the promise. Now that's not the same thing. So the Patriots are now sort of like every other NFL franchise. And the reason that Hopkins only had the Titans and the Patriots is because these other contenders, either they didn't need a receiver in the case of like before the season, you'd say like the Bengals, they have T. Higgins, Jamar Chase, they have Boyd, they don't need one, right? The Bills, they didn't have the salary cap space, right? So the reason that he was available is because for the Patriots and the Titans, because these other contenders, they didn't have the room or they didn't have the need for him, right? Like DeAndre Hopkins in his 30s, you wouldn't think he'd want to play for Tennessee or the Patriots. And the Patriots just made an offer and said, hey, this is our best offer. Instead of saying, hey, let's blow out the Tennessee Titans and make sure we get the player. And if you look at the results, not that Tennessee's good. That does not have a lot to do with Hopkins. Hopkins this season, 1,011 yards. And this is, of course, entering the final week of the season. Devontae Parker, who they decided to extend, 388 yards. Juju Smith-Schuster is on IR. 
he has 260 yards. So DeAndre Hopkins has, what, 363 more yards than Parker and Juju combined. Now, does this mean the Patriots would have been significantly better? No, but their offense would have been helped by a legit number one receiver that other teams have to game plan for rather than what the Patriots have been rolling out the majority of the season. And the Patriots had the money to do so. So this goes back, and we'll get into this with Tom Giles, is Bill can't be the GM. Like, that's just a bad decision in terms of the offensive line where they thought these big-name free agents and the guys in the draft are overrated. They went bargain basement shopping. They got burned with the offensive line. And then secondarily, the receiver was there for you, and you decided not to outbid the Tennessee Titans. So this goes back to this whole idea, and I've said on multiple occasions, I'll get into this with Giles, I want Bill back, but I want Bill stripped of the GM duties. Okay, moving on to Mac Jones. One source, we had no chance to win with Mac at quarterback. The locker room's confidence, Doug and Callahan Wright, the locker room's confidence in Jones waned significantly after a 34-0 home loss to New Orleans on October 8th, the worst home shutout in team history. Around that time, the staff began deliberating a quarterback change, but Zappi whom Belichick had cut six weeks earlier. Remember, the Patriots cut him in camp, undercut his own candidacy by going 7 of 18 for 69 yards in mop-up duty over two games. Newly signed backup Will Greer was never a serious contender per sources, despite being told he could compete for playing time. That left Jones all alone in a quarterback's room that sources familiar with the room paint as quiet and uncomfortable. A source, quote, there definitely isn't a healthy communication in there about trying to win football games. Okay, so this all goes back to Zappi having a, her- a terrible training camp and Zappi having a terrible preseason. And then when he got the opportunity, when Mac was getting pulled from these games, he was also bad, right? So if you think about this from a Patriots perspective, they were willing and they had a good idea that Zappi was going to come back, right? That nobody else was going to claim him when they decided to cut him. But they at least risked losing Zappi because that's how poorly he had performed in the offseason stuff into training camp. So basically their options was, hey, we gave Zappi time and mop-up duty. He wasn't playing well. Mac Jones, we know, is horrible. So their options were both bad, right? At least like the idea, like, and we, Zappi has played better than Mac, but the idea at the time was, let's go to Zappi who has been bad when he's had these limited opportunities and going back to training camp and going back to the preseason, he was horrible. So there, those were their two choices. Now, it turns out that they should have just turned the keys over to Zappi, but you can understand why they didn't because of how bad training camp and preseason was. Now, if it was me, I would have turned it to Zappi because I just don't think that Mac was functional anymore. I think that Mac was broken as a quarterback. So it turns out they chose the wrong door there, but at least that decision is justified. The problem is that you put yourself in a position where you didn't, in your own mind, you went in, we're finding out he's more reliable than Mac Jones, but you went into the season having your backup quarterback in your own mind thinking he's not reliable. Like you didn't believe that you had a guy that could back up Mac Jones. That was their belief. And that's why it took them so long to turn the keys over to Zappi. Now they go on to write, Jones and Zappi, who teammates say are cordial to one another, hardly talk. Instead of rallying to support the starter each week, they are siloed in their own preparation. Several members of the organization believe they would have benefited from a veteran backup with experience in more cooperating rooms who could direct them and hide the room together. So this is a weird dynamic, right? We talked about this. Callahan mentioned this on the show, too. I said, like, I think it's a weird relationship between Zappi and 
Mac and Callahan said, yeah, it is. Like, it's a weird situation. And I do think this is a weird dynamic. When you enter the season, and last year during the year, there was a quarterback controversy, right? Where we can go back to the Bears Monday night game, but a lot of people in the fan base wanted Zappy, and people in the building wanted Zappy to stay quarterback, and some people wanted Mac. So there was a back and forth there. And it's not as if Zappy is a 35-year-old veteran. In fact, he's a year behind Mac in terms of his NFL career. So when you have two young guys, and we know Zappy is like super confident, two young guys going for that job, it can create an issue. So like, this does make sense that they could have benefited from having that veteran quarterback, so to speak. So it's just weird that that was the dynamic in the quarterback room. Okay, now this is the Belichick portion of this. As for Belichick, sources universally agree his personnel control and inability to assemble a functional staff continue to undermine the offense. Though they maintain, though they maintain, Belichick hasn't lost his fastball as a head coach. In argument, they support with the team's bad injury luck, their 4-8 in one-score games. Quote, this is from a tenured Patriots source. The guys still respond to him. And goddamn, we have so many squad meetings where he shows what's going to happen in the game, and it always fucking happens. Even down to what we can't do, and then we end up fucking doing it. Okay, so this is why I say to keep Belichick, he can still coach. And we'll get into this in greater detail with Giles in just a little bit. But this goes back to sort of the idea that I had when I came on the pod last Sunday and I illustrated the reasons to keep Bill. He hasn't lost the locker room and he can still coach. Okay, so that's why I would be keeping Bill. And I'll get like, I don't want to step too much in the conversation with Giles. But that to me was a very positive note from the article. Now, my biggest takeaway is the O'Brien thing. I just think the O'Brien dynamic is a weird one where it's like, ah, yeah, we're not going to have these like position meetings. I want to control all the meetings. It's just a weird dynamic. The biggest issues I have is are issues that I thought were real before I read them in this article is there was no search for the offensive coordinator, which is a massive issue. Like that's a real problem. And then the other thing that I would say is going forward now, the big question is going to be, will Bill give up personnel power? Because it just feels like whether or not he wants to admit it, he's hurt his own team. I going back to the DeAndre Hopkins situation, that's another thing that just aggravated me about this. It's like, I, and we're thinking about it now because it got brought up in this article by Doug and Callahan. It's just like, you could have avoided this. Like, you could have had a legitimate bona fide number one receiver, even if he's not a top 10 guy in the league anymore. He's still way better than anybody the Patriots had. He came in for a visit. He was obviously interested in joining the team because of the certain circumstances that I laid out earlier, why not sign him? Why not just sign the guy? So that's a stuff that sort of aggravates you about the situation. And I just find the Max Zappy thing, now that the season's almost over, I just find that funny, to be honest, like that whole dynamic. By the way, one other note I wanted to mention. So great job by Callahan and Doug. And like I said, go back and read that if if you haven't yet. Mike Reese said today that Belichick and the Crafts will meet on Monday. And the Crafts want to know why things have fallen off so dramatically. So that's sort of what Bill's going to have to answer to. Hey, why has it gotten so bad, Bill, when we went from two years ago when their postseason with a rookie quarterback to the disaster of the 8-9 season with Patricia to it got even worse last season? So it's going to be interesting what Bill's defense is going to be. I don't know if the defense can just be, hey, the quarterback stinks. I don't know if that can be what Bill lays out. But does Bill fall on the sword and say, the problem is me as an executive, and I could still coach, but I need help with the 
personnel stuff. That's going to be fascinating to see if Bill would actually say something along those lines. All right, a lot more to get into. Coming up next, though, you'll hear from Tom Giles from NBC Sports Boston. The NFL regular season is wrapping up, but there's still time to get in on the action with FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets guaranteed when you place your $5 bet. That's $150 in bonus bets, win or lose. All right, now I'm looking at this game coming up on Saturday night. Obviously, huge game of the division between the Texans and the Colts. The Texans on the road, but I'm going to parlay C.J. Stroud over one and a half passing touchdowns with the Texans to win on the money line. You can get that for plus 184. Last time Stroud played the Colts way back in week two, but he was really good through for 384 and two touchdowns. So I like that plus 184, CJ Stroud over one and a half passing touchdowns and the Texans on the money line. The app is so easy to use and there's so many different ways you can bet like live game, same game parlays. You can find bets in the new Explore tab, make a parlay in the Parlay Hub, the best way to find popular parlays and more. So visit FanDuel.com slash Pike and make your first bet a layup. FanDuel, official partner of the NFL. Must be 21 plus in president select states. $5 pregame money line wager required. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Welcome into Off the Pike. I'm Brian Barrett getting ready for the final game of the Patriots season. Joining us now from NBC Sports Boston, it is Tom Giles. Giles, what's going on, man? How are you? Not much. How are you guys doing? We're doing well, man. It felt like for a while this season, watching the Patriots was sort of a chore. At least things got better down the stretch. Like there's been more entertaining football games than the Cowboys and the Saints games that we saw earlier this year. I guess so. Uh, Although that was as angry as I've gotten watching a Patriots game uh, in a long time. Probably since the Saints game, actually, when Bailey Zappi threw the pick six. And it was just like, what? What are you doing? What are you? What? What is the plan here? What are you guys doing? I, I was like, just run the wildcat the rest of the way. I was actually impressed that they came back and uh, made it competitive, uh, especially someone that was on plus fifteen. Um, that was <laughs> nice to see. I, I honestly, I can't believe. I cannot believe they only lost that game by six points. It does not make sense. Well, and especially considering, like you mentioned, the pick six, they had four turnovers early in that game, and somehow they're still in it. Like they made Josh Allen look pretty bad. In that game, Josh Allen did not play well. The Bills' offense did not play well. And I thought, hey, maybe the Bills were kind of figuring out down the stretch of the season. And Patriots' defense played well in that game. Offense, totally different story. And you could tell, like, that zappy, that pick six, it felt like Rager wasn't on the same page. Like, he didn't realize it was a blitz. He was supposed to run a different route. So it was just a mess. I give them, I actually do give them credit for fighting back because if this happened six to seven weeks ago, they would have lost like they did to Dallas or New Orleans. Yeah, no, uh, I totally agree with that. And I think I'm kind of with you that it said more about the Bills to me than it did about the Patriots, which I, I know we're here to talk Patriots, but I thought the Bills had figured it out as well. Offensively, though, they're clearly – we'll go as far as Josh Allen can take us, and hopefully our receivers and our, our playmakers can make enough plays, but Stephon Diggs isn't the same guy. Josh Allen has taken some ridiculous hits. I mean, seriously, I, th- I thought – I thought they were going to put him in concussion protocol like two or three times throughout the course of that game. And he just kept bouncing back up and everything seemed fine. But it doesn't seem like a a, a real solution uh, for long-term success for the Bills offense. So maybe they're not what we thought they were. Yeah, and I think if they lo- when they lose in the postseason, there's going to be some sort of blow up with him and Diggs again, just like they had last year. Because he hasn't had a 100-yard game since before the first Patriots game. 
it's been forever since he had like one of these big games. It's been more about like Gabe Davis than it has been about Stephon Diggs lately. All right. So it's been just a wild couple of days here in Patriots land. So we've been talking about for weeks that Bill could be gone after the season, really months at this point, and it's becoming closer to a reality. And then he goes on his weekly spot on EEI this week, and he said, I don't want to spend time or get caught up in what happened five years ago or what's going to happen two years from now and a bunch of random stuff. I'm just working on the Jets. He then added, if I was going to do anything, I'd put it out there on Twitter or my face so everybody could see it. I do feel like the my face joke is getting old at this point. Like, he knows what it's it's called. It's not getting old, no. Brian's not getting old. It's been old. It's been old for five years. <laughs> yeah, you're right about that. But he keeps using it. So, I mean, I guess more power to him. And we know the reporting that Tommy Curran had from your employer, NBC Sports Boston, about after the Germany game, they made a decision. But I personally, right now, I don't think that a decision's been made. And look, maybe that was a comment that one of the crafts made emotionally after Germany. I do feel like now they're actually... It feels like there's a little bit of momentum growing towards, hey, could Bill actually stay on as the head coach? And would he actually take a backseat and not want to be involved as much in the front office stuff? And the more, the more, or the more and more you hear about this, I would, if you asked me this eight weeks ago, like I was talking about earlier, I would have said Bill's definitely gone and there's no way he would ever give up personnel power. But now that we're at this point, I do think maybe he would be willing to give up some of that power if it meant keeping his job. Perhaps here's the other the other wrinkle that uh, was thrown into it. I think I saw today that Chris Hogan, former Patriots wide receiver, said 90 percent chance that Bill Belichick's back. And I'm just thinking, like, well, how does Chris Hogan like have the inside track on (laughs) Bill Belichick's job? Maybe the lacrosse connection. Maybe he gets more inside scoop than the other guys, you know, because obviously I don't know if it was ever mentioned on any game or any uh, show. But Chris Hogan played the cross and Bill Belichick likes the cross. I've heard that. Yeah, yeah, it was. They they made sure to uh, to put that storyline out there once or twice. I still think that Bill is probably gone, but I think you're you're spot on. I feel the same way that post Germany, you felt like okay, this thing's in in a in a bad place, and there's just there's no way. Why would he even want to come back? You know, even even after the Chargers game, you probably felt that way. The, the first Bailey Zappi start. Now you're getting to it, and it's just like. Is he somehow coaching his way back into this with with wins over the Steelers and over the Broncos and just being competitive? Like it's just it's 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 weird to say that way, but you know at, at the same time, Robert Kraft, the Kraft family, ha- has to make the decision uh, on what they're going to do, and it's it's still a human decision. There's still a, a humanity to that decision. It's not just totally. I, I don't think it's going to be totally robotic, even if it should be. Well, and I do think the other component to this is. I know Mike Vrabel is upset in Tennessee, but he still has years left on his contract. So if you're going to go after him, you'd have to trade for him. I don't see them getting in the Jim Harbaugh sweepstakes. I think if he leaves Michigan, it's going to be to go either to Chicago, but it feels like Eberflus is keeping his job now. So I don't think that's a destination. And he said before that was his dream job. Maybe it's Herbert, like with the Chargers, where he could have all the power and that would be a, a big splash. So if the idea here is that Mayo is the coach in waiting and we know they brought him back they gave him more responsibilities they gave him more money if that is the case that Mayo is just going to be the next head coach of the Patriots and this has already been predetermined I don't understand why you wouldn't bring back Bill for another year like what's the rush to give the job to Mayo if this play if this team was playing well down the stretch of the season which I think they have and unfortunately I think they're going to beat the Jets considering 
And not that Zach Wilson is a big factor. He's been awful against the Patriots, but they're playing Trevor Simeon again. The Patriots have beat them 15 consecutive games, so I don't think they're going to have the number two pick. And if Bill is willing to give up that personnel power, what's the rush to give the job to Mayo? He's only 37. I don't think he's getting hired by a different team this offseason. Well, let me ask you, how do you how do you handle it if, let's say the Patriots win on Sunday, they beat the Jets, which I kind of think they're going to beat the Jets. The Jets have been just that bad lately. Horrible. So now the chances of them drafting a quarterback have diminished, like significantly. Maybe yeah. maybe Michael Penix plays his way up there and that's someone they go after. But let's just say that they don't draft a quarterback and you bring Bill Belichick back and you win five games again next year. Now what? You know, like don't because he'll be in the final year of his contract. So you either got to add some term to that or, you know, you got to figure out what you're going to do. With that. I, I just. I don't know what Bill Belichick would have to do next year to then make people feel better about the the, the team moving forward, because it's not like they have a ton of building blocks here, a ton of pieces. It's just it just feels like it's probably going to look the same way next year, maybe a little more competitive, but it's going to look a lot the same way next year uh, going into 2024 if you kind of just roll it back. Yeah, it's a fair point. I just think that, hey, if you brought somebody in from the outside that could help like with the personnel stuff, like the guy that I keep coming back to, and I don't know if he'd want the job, is Adam Peters, who used to work in the Patriots front office from 03 to 08, has had a ton of success with San Francisco prior to that, Denver. And they made a decision on, okay, well, if we fall out of that number two pick, which seems likely, are we taking the best skill guy, whether it be Bowers or one of the two receivers, like somewhere between three and five, wherever the Patriots fall, and then maybe, to your point, they come back in and they get Penix, or they like Bo Nix, although both those guys are really old. They're both like two years older than C.J. Stroud. But I like Penix. I think Penix is a good player. Or do they push it down the road to next year and say, hey, let's go with Zappi and a veteran quarterback, and then we try again next year to get that quarterback? Because I do feel like that's how damaging it is, falling out of that two spot and not having Drake May right there. I'm not as big on Jaden Daniels as I think a lot of other people are. Like, I almost rather take the skill guy and then wait for one of those, like the guys we mentioned and Michael Penix, or I'm not as big on Bo Nix, but I, I just feel like if that's the case, I do feel like the defense is going to be really good next season and you're going to get back Gonzalez and we'll see about the Judon situation. I feel like Barmore has emerged into like a legit stud. Like what's he up to now? Eight and a half sacks. The guy's been outstanding. And then if you do, to my hypothetical, bring in somebody to help Bill with the personnel stuff and you say, hey, we draft a skill guy and then we spend a bunch of money on one of these free agent wide receivers. Okay, maybe it does look better after next year compared to this year. Like, I, I can't imagine the offense would look worse next season, no matter who the quarterback is, right? I was thinking the other day, not that Zappy's good, but what do you think? Do, what, do you think they're like six wins if Zappy starts the entire season? Like, I don't know. I feel like that. Mac was so damaging. And look, Zappi, this is a bad example because Zappi was bad the other day. But I don't know. I feel like th this team could be a lot better next season than they are this year just by making one or two more moves here. But but here's the thing. We said that about going into this year. We said that about them Very adding Bill O'Brien. We said there's no way the offense could be possibly as bad as it was a year ago when Matt Patricia and Joe Judge were leading the way. And then you roll it out here for year three of Mac Jones, and it's still a disaster. And a lot of that... As much as it is on the quarterback play, a lot of it's still on the fact that you didn't address the tackle position, you didn't address the wide receiver position, and 
you know, you can maybe you, you can throw coaching in, into it as well. So you just throw it all up in the blender and they look like a total disaster the majority of the season offensively. So I guess what it comes down to for me is like, just ask yourself, how would you feel if Bill Belichick was brought back for next season? And I think it would be like, there'd be, there would be a level of kind of like frustration just because it's like, all right, well now we're going to go through this again for another year or unless they just give them an extension. Um, and you're just sitting there thinking like, well, is this going to be two more years of this? You know, and, and you you don't know how it's going to work if he brings in someone to work above him as far as player personnel. On the on the other side of the coin, though, if they're if they decide to move on from him, I think it's going to be you know kind of bittersweet, and then there's going to be uh, probably an uneasiness to it because you just don't know how bad it could truly get if someone else is is leading the way. Because I do think there have been a couple games this season where they've been competitive because they had Bill Belichick. Right, and it's not like Gerard Mayo is some proven NFL head coach, right? Unless there really is truly a search, which I don't really know if there's going to be one, right? Like if they did all this stuff to bring back Gerard Mayo, and not that Gerard Mayo had a job lined up, but he was interviewing for other head coach or or head coaching opportunities, that it feels like he's got some sort of a promise here, right? If he's back here with the more responsibilities and all that. The other thing I would say, though, is like, so I want Bill to be back. Like, I, I didn't think this way a couple of weeks ago. I want him to be back for next year. But here's the other thing I would bring up with as it pertains to Kraft. So obviously, he lets Brady go. Brady wins the Super Bowl. Bill is in a totally different place right now compared to where Tom was when Tom went and had immediate success. But we do know that Bill is chasing down Shula's record. Kraft said that it doesn't mean as much to him like they're concerned about winning to paraphrase what he's saying he said it's important to get into the playoffs obviously they're nowhere near the playoffs but what if there is a market for bill right and jerry jones and nora princiati brought this up in the ringer like if they move on from mike mccarthy because mike mccarthy has a flame out and they say hey we have a loaded roster what do we need we need a coach and jerry jones wants bill like, is Robert going to be able to stomach that, right? Because we know in any scenario, like, he tried to get compensation back from any team that he'd be going to. Because that's the only team, to me, that Bill would actually have, like... Because I don't see any of these teams saying, hey, we're bringing in Belichick to run the organization and coach. So I don't think Bill's going to have that option anywhere. So I don't think he'd have it with the Patriots, and I don't think he'd have it anywhere else. But the one place, and maybe to a lesser extent the Chargers, but I don't think they'd go with Bill either. I think that... I think they're going to circle in on Harbaugh. But my point with this is, if he goes to a place, if Dallas like actually wants Bill, that to me is going to be something that the Crafts are going to have to think about. Like, what if Bill has success in Dallas? Like, I think one thing we found out down the stretch of the season, we know about the personnel stuff. And we know they've had issues offensively, obviously. He still can coach. Like, the defense has been pretty good all season long, especially considering the injuries they've had. I don't know if the Crafts would be able to stomach that. Like, Oh, he's gonna win. He's gonna break the record with the Cowboys, and possibly like that's a team that could make a run. Yeah, no, I I, I totally get it, but it's it's kind of like that that shouldn't be the reason that you don't make the move. Like if the if if they don't believe it's the right thing for the franchise, and just use the same line that Bills used for years, do the right thing yeah. for the football team. If they don't <laughs> believe that bring Bill back is the right thing for the football team, then they they should make the move and. End of story. Whatever happens, happens after that. I'll throw one other team out there. And this one's just been because we I, I work with a few Eagles fans in our in our newsroom. And so one of them 
is starting to think like maybe Nick Sirianni doesn't survive this. The way the Eagles oh. have collapsed late in the season, maybe Nick Sirianni doesn't make it all the way through because Howie Roseman looks at it and says, we got the roster. It's it, This window is here. We have to take advantage of it. We have to win now. What if the Eagles need a head coach? Like there, there's another place where he would easily go there. And I, I understand that Sirianni's it's more his offense. So they'd have to figure that side of the ball out. But um, I don't know. There'd be another place. It would probably be to probably be hard to fathom, especially since it's geographically a little closer. Maybe, maybe it wouldn't hurt as much because there isn't that sort of rivalry with ownership, but uh, that would be just another, just another spot to kind of keep an eye on if, if the Eagles continue to go the way they're going. And, and now that you bring it up, like Sirianni, he's had his issues this season, and maybe Bill already has an inside man there. Think about Patricia last week against the Cardinals. I mean, Patricia's now the defensive play caller there, and the Cardinals go nuts. What, they put up 34 points on the Eagles? But that's what I didn't think about, because they went from, like, the best team in the NFL to completely collapsing, and I don't think they're going to make any sort of run in the postseason. Like, that team... Looks like it has issues. I mean, A.J. Brown's not even speaking to the media after the game. He's upset. So that's an interesting one that I didn't think about either. Like if the Eagles job would become available, that would be compelling if Bill went there. <laughs> but speaking of this, so let's go with the. So I, I, I'm looking at it going forward here. So let's say they move on from Bill. Do you think it's just a done deal that it's male? Like, I don't really think there's going to be a coaching search. Do you? Do you think they're going to like, is Ben Johnson getting an interview with the Patriots if they move on from Belichick? Or is there just almost like, and by when I say like, is there a search? Like, is there a real search? I know there will be interviews, but right. is it, hey, Mayo has a 99% chance to get the job and then we'll bring in a couple of other candidates. Or do you think there actually will be a search? I would say, I, I don't know. To me, it feels like it's closer to like 90, 10, 90%. Like it, it'd probably be Gerard Mayo, but you know, because of the Rooney rule, you do have to interview, um, you know, multiple candidates, right? I think that still applies in this situation. So they, um, they, they would have to definitely have a search and, and interview, and they should. They honestly should do that. I always think that even when you know Bill Belichick is looking for offensive coordinators and everything, it's have like a nationwide search. There's nothing wrong with doing that. You you're going to learn how other people do things. You're going to learn more about the league and it. Can help you going forward. It could maybe, you know, you end up hiring that guy down the road, or there's a connection. It's just, it's it's networking. Like you know what I mean. Like it's it's networking that I think can only be a positive thing. Um, but I also found Gerard Mayo's comments on Tuesday pretty interesting in terms of, you know, he heard about some of the criticism about Gerard maybe rubbing people the wrong way, and he said, yeah, well, you know what, that, like that's what leaders do when you're trying to when you're trying to make your team better, that you kind of have to rub people the wrong way in in order to do that. It was also, I thought, kind of fascinating that he used, uh, you know, the terms that he wants people that are going to tell him the truth around the building. He doesn't want just an echo chamber, which I thought was maybe just a little bit a a, a knock at Bill because, you know, it seems like for years you probably had guys who just told Bill what he wanted to hear as far as personnel, as far as, you know, coaching and everything else. So hearing those things from Gerard was refreshing. I, I actually, you know, I, I think that he could be a, a good head coach. They just need to make sure that, you know, they get the right person that's leading the player personnel. That's like, that's the biggest thing for yeah. me, even more so than the head coach. I totally agree with you. And I was impressed with Mayo's response to that, too. He thought the timing was odd of the report from Greg Bedard from the Boston Sports Journal. The the one thing I'd say, though, is like, th- I thought 
he was good to answer at this time because the report had just come out. If he does take over as the head coach, this is not something he can be doing like on a normal basis, right? Like this, right. how many times have we heard Bill say, well, I'm not, and not saying that he's not paying attention to it, but he's just saying, I'm here to talk about the Bills or the Dolphins or the Jets, whoever the opponent is, he's not going to feed into that. But I do think like at this point when we know that Mayo is up for the job, if Bill's going to be gone, I do think it was probably necessary that he answered that question. I, I do like too, that he's like, I wish that the person would come to me as a man or come to me as a woman and tell me sort of like this type of stuff. So I don't know, like he rubs people the wrong way. Like that was the report. I don't like, I didn't really buy too much into it. Did you well, like, is it really that big of a deal? Couldn't, couldn't, couldn't it also be that maybe it's someone that's, you know, on Bill's side of things, on Belichick's side of things. Mm, and they're yeah. looking at it like, you know, and totally speculating, just theorizing, like maybe it's something like that. And they don't like the fact that, you know, Gerard Mayo would be the next guy in line and it could just be something as simple as that. I don't know. Well, it's a good point because remember earlier this season, and I'm paraphrasing the exact comment, but remember when Bill was mentioning we need a reset or we're resetting and Gerard Mayo is basically essentially saying, well, we don't need to reset the defense. Like the defense is fine. Remember that? Like earlier in the season, he's like, I, we don't really re have to reset the defense. Like the defense is fine, which I agreed with at the time. And it was refreshing to hear somebody say that. But you're right. Maybe it is somebody from the Belichick camp. So, all right. So let's say that Mayo is the head coach. Does he keep O'Brien? Because you look at O'Brien, they're 30th in EPA per play. They're 28th in success rate. They're 29th in yards per play. Last year with Patricia, 24th in EPA per play, 25th in success, 18th in yards per play. Now, maybe you could just point to it and say, hey, a lot of this is Mac and a lot of this was the personnel, but it's gotten worse than it was a season ago. Now, they had their moments, the Steelers game, and of course, Zappi was awesome in the Broncos game. But even when I go back to the Broncos game, I didn't think it was about Bill O'Brien. I thought... Shockingly, Devontae Parker made some really nice catches down the field and Zappi threw the ball down the field and made plays. His completion percentage over expectation that week was 16%, like way higher than anybody else in the NFL. So I do wonder, like if I'm Gerard Mayo and I take over this job, do I want to just bring back most of the staff or do I want to have my own staff that doesn't sort of have tentacles to the Bill Belichick coaching tree? The only thing I would fear is uh, if I'm Mayo is, and obviously he is, a lot of confidence in himself. But I do think like losing both Belichick's would kind of be difficult, right? In terms of the defense. Like, so now is Gerard running the defense as he's the head coach? I feel like that's a lot to put on your plate. It is. Uh, but maybe that's a reason then to bring back Bill O'Brien for at least one more year. Uh, I, 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 did he have a good year? Probably not. But look at the personnel that he had offensively. It was bad. And then he took over a, a broken Mac Jones. Like I, I thought Mac could bounce back and be okay, but clearly he was still broken. And then, so I, I still think that bringing back Bill O'Brien might be the easiest thing for them to do as far as that position goes. And, you know, if it doesn't work for the first year there, maybe you make a different move, bring in somebody else. But as you point out that you could be, you could be looking at replacing a, a few people on the staff. So I don't have a problem with bringing back Bill O'Brien, even though it, it's it's been a pretty ugly year uh, offensively. Well, I think it was Ted Johnson that brought it up. It may have been on my pod or somewhere else where it's like, I, I can't imagine that Bill O'Brien took this job and it, it's only going to be there for one year. Like he had to have taken a commitment for it, like craft at least some sort of promise where he's going to have a couple of years here because I don't think, and I know like 
he wasn't well liked in Alabama, like the Alabama fan base wasn't the biggest fans of Bill O'Brien. But I get to imagine he has some sort of a promise that he's going to be here after the 2023 season. I can't I can't buy that this is a one and done, even if I don't think that he's done a lot to help the team. Well, the Alabama fans don't like anybody that doesn't win them a national championship. True. That year. Like, it's just, it's it's unbelievable the expectations that they have there. They're, it's it's too much. But, yeah, it, I can see the coaching staff, you know, I can see it being Gerard with Bill O'Brien. But, again, like, it's whoever's running the player personnel is going to be the biggest change and the biggest deal for them. Yeah, and I don't know if Jalen Milrow will ever be the quarterback of the Patriots if Bill <laughs> O'Brien's still around. Apparently, he's not the biggest fan of Bill O'Brien. All right, so... Obviously, we mentioned there's a lot on the line in terms of the draft pick. So you're with me, like the 15-game winning streak is going to go to 16. You think the Patriots beat the Jets. If if this happens, is there like a moment? Like, does Belichick get like lifted up or something? Like, do they act like maybe this is Bill's? Do they dump him with water or something? No, because I, I think Bill's still operating like I'm the head coach. And, uh, you know, we don't have to worry about that stuff until next week. I, I just, I don't think... There's going to be that human moment, not on Sunday. Like it's, I don't think he's wired like like that. I, for most of us, yeah, absolutely, we'd be like, man, this this entire season's been just unbelievable, and we'd, we'd fall apart. And uh, I don't think that's Bill. I think he just coaches the game. I think they win the game, and he gives a handshake to Robert Sala, and then he, you know, runs off the field, does his post game press conference, and then you know, whatever day it is next week, they have a meeting, and we'll find out what happens. But I. I think it's just, I think he's going to be business as usual. So my prediction is, as I mentioned, I think he's going to be back. I f- you think that he's probably going to be gone. So let's say the hypothetical is that he's gone. Do you think there are like a couple of jobs he would take? Because like <laughs> these other jobs that are open, say Carolina, like that's, why would you want that job, right? I mean, obviously the owner, David Tepper, has got his own issues right now. They don't have a first round draft pick. The commanders, like maybe if they have the number two pick, does but does he want to go somewhere and have like sort of a rebuild like he was just going through with the Patriots? Like I if I'm Bill, like, do I really want to go to a rebuilding situation? That's why I think like there'd only be a few that he'd be willing to take. So I guess my question is, if he's not the coach of the Patriots, will he be coaching an NFL team in 2024? Yes, I think he will. I think he will. I think that I wouldn't I wouldn't uh sleep on Washington though, because it's close to Annapolis. So like, you know, he's oh, got obviously the, the family history there. I, I think that that would be attractive in that sort of way. I don't see why the chargers would go in that direction, but they could, if they just feel like they needed, you know, like an experienced coach and that's all they were missing. Although it kind of feels like that's not all that they're missing at this point. I, but I do think there's going to be a job and a team out there that wants to hire him. It, it wouldn't make sense to me. But I also wouldn't rule out the possibility that he somehow starts 2024 not coaching and then gets hired like halfway through. I mean, like, who knows? Like, a lot of it, though, is truly going to depend on if if both sides decide it's time to move on, how they move on. You know what I mean? Like, is, is Bill going to say, well, you owe me my full salary and you you, you have to fire me and you owe me my full salary? Mm. Or are the crowds going to say, well, you're still under contract, so we're going to try to trade you and then... I'm pretty sure, you know, Bill can turn that down. So it's, it's a lot of it's just going to depend on how the divide happens. If the divide happens. Right. Because like the, the dumbest thing for the crafts to do would be just to fire him. Because if there is another team that wants him, you need to get some sort of draft compensation. That's why I think like it didn't behoove them that the report got out there 
after the Germany game. Like, why would you want that out there? Like, you want it to be like, hey, you're still confident in Bill because then you can trade Bill in the offseason. I don't know what the compensation would be, but you at least want something back in return. So this is going to be fascinating. So let's look at the quarterback position. So hypothetically, let's say they win and the Patriots don't have the number two pick, so they're not in that Drake May range. What do you think is the most likely scenario to start 2024? The starter for the Patriots, Zappy, a different veteran, or a rookie quarterback? <laughs> so, uh, not Zappy. Uh, no, I'm, I'm out on Bailey Zappy. I, I'm kind of in on Flacco, but I just don't think, how can the Browns let him go? I know they have Deshaun Watson, but he's been too good. Like, I don't think Flacco, I think Flacco is going to, have an opportunity to stay there. I, I mean, especially PR wise, it's a lot better than having Watson around too. But here's the problem. Like if the Patriots added Joe Flacco in, in week nine or whatever this year before the Browns did, Joe Flacco would be doing the same thing that the Patriots quarterbacks are doing. Like, you know, he would be getting killed. He wouldn't have, you would have nobody to throw to. Not that the Browns receivers are the best, but they're better. Like the Browns. Yeah. They have Cooper and Joku. Yeah. So it's like, it, 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 it almost doesn't matter who's coming in. To a large degree, they've just screwed up the wide receiver room so much, in my opinion. Um, I think you could see like a veteran quarterback bridge guy, like a Gardner Minshew type of player, someone in that vein. And, you know, then you have your rookie quarterback who comes in in week four or something like that. You know, I I don't know. I, it's, I hope it's a rookie quarterback. But I also like it, this is the time of year where we, we knew it was coming. It's a two quarterback race. There's two quarterbacks at the top of the draft. And then, then you get your Heisman Trophy winners. Now, Jaden Daniels. Oh, he's all the way up. He's climbing the board. He's up to like three. Then yeah. Michael Penix comes out of nowhere. Now he's the top 10 pick. Like this happens every single, but like remember Baker Mayfield went from this guy should be like number 30 to number one. Like what's that never made sense. And clearly it, it didn't play out the way that they wanted it to, but I could see them. Drafting a quarterback, I think if it's one of the top three guys. Yeah, and remember too, last year, Will Levis was like, oh, this guy's definitely going in the top 10, and he didn't even go in the first round. Yeah, he felt, but you know what? I actually like that pick. I like Will Levis. I think he's a good player. Yeah, he's got to take it easy on the weights, man. Like, I don't know. He's got to be the most jacked quarterback since what? Like Cam Newton. He's huge. Well, well, he is, but he also takes, he he has to, not just back off the weights, but back off the Josh Allen hero runs. Like, dude, you're just getting helicoptered all over the place, just getting crushed. Yeah, he does take a lot of hits. I'm kind of in on Penix, and I don't want to get, like, skewed by the one game that he played. Like, C.J. Stroud last year at that outstanding game in the playoff, too. He's been awesome this year. Not to compare the two guys, but if you could find a way to trade back in and get Penix, but also get somebody in the top five, whether it be Bowers, Adunze, neighbors one of these like weapons that you could draft like that's something that i would certainly be interested in just what's it going to cost to get back in like i remember years ago when baltimore did it when they got to 32 i mean that's the last pick of the first round and i wonder where Penix is going to end up because it's good because he's got such an injury history right he's got shoulder issues in the past he's got knee issues in the past like he used to be a super mobile quarterback they ran him the other night but it's not like that's not really who he is as a player so i would be interested in doubling up in the first round and that would definitely mean that Bill's not running the draft if you did that. Oh, for sure. Real quick, just as far as the draft goes, because people brought this up, his age. Should we care how old a rookie quarterback is if now it seems like the blueprint is build around a quarterback on a rookie salary 
Like, unless you're getting a guy who's like 20 and you think you're going to have him for the next 15 to 20 years, you know, if you're going to have Patrick Mahomes or, you know, you're going to develop Josh Allen or whatever, if your goal is to like say, hey, we've got pretty good talent, we just need to add a few pieces and win under a rookie scale uh, quarterback, you know, as far as the pay goes, then I don't have a problem with having a quarterback who's like 26, 28 years old. Doesn't matter. Yeah, I don't care either with, especially as long as you feel like, okay, about the medicals with Penix, then I'd be totally cool with drafting because it's not like, it's not Brandon Whedon when Brandon Whedon was coming out and he was like 28, right? Like he's going to be 24 and some of these guys come in really young, but I feel like the experience has helped him, right? Like if he came out a couple of years ago, he wouldn't have been a high draft pick. So I I wouldn't be scared away from that. The only thing that would concern me are the injuries with Penix. And I I prefer Penix to Bo Nix. I just feel like... Oh, I mean, sure. I know this is like a small thing, but he's he's been huge in big games. Like he's been really good in these. big like I thought they were going to lose to Oregon the second time. He was awesome in that game. He was awesome in the game the other night. And I think that does say something about you when you can play well in these big games when it's like, all right, Texas has a ton of talent. And they went up and down in the field on that Texas team. And I guess we'll see even more in this game coming up. What on Monday night against Michigan? I can't wait for that one either. All right. So I did want to pivot to the Celtics, Giles, of course, because. We're 33 games in. They're 26 and 7. They just had their six game winning streak broken up against OKC, who's one of the best teams in the NBA. I thought that was, I plotted after that one. I thought that was an incredibly entertaining game. Shea was awesome. But in terms of the first 33 games, the Celtics are the best team in the NBA. What's impressed you the most about this team? Or is it an individual? Like, what stuck out to you the most so far? No, it's, it's, it's the way that the, the collection of the individuals work together, which sounds so corny and whatever, but like uh, they, they pretty seamlessly have worked together for the first 33 games. And, you know, you've seen Jason Tatum, you know, take a backseat uh, at times offensively. It's not my turn basketball. It's just like they move the ball so well. They space the floor so well. Guys are in the right spots. It's just when they're at their best, when they're doing that, they're so fun to watch. It's unbelievable. And it's, and no one else in the NBA can do it. And it's what amazes me even more is that if Tatum's out for a night, if Brown's out for a night, like you see Sam Hauser and Peyton Pritchard step in seamlessly as well. And again, still the spacing is perfect and the ball movements it's, it's there. So that's really, I think impressed me the most that um, the, the way they play team basketball and, and everyone's just, spaces the floor extremely well and is in the right right place. Yeah, for me, like, most people think my answer would be Derek White just because I love Derek White. I'm the president of the Derek White fan club. But to me, it's just like Porzingis because I hadn't really paid attention to him too much over the past couple of years because he's playing irrelevant basketball. I mean, we've been through the post-up numbers a million times, but as a role man, he has 108 points on 80 possessions, 1.35 points per possession. He's been one of the most efficient role men. He's been one of the most efficient postmen. And then you look at his numbers, less than eight feet from the basket. He's 96 of 126, which is 76.2%. That's second with a minimum of 100 attempts. So he's been basically the second most efficient scorer from eight feet and in on the season. And I just feel like this whole idea of the Celtics flaming out in the postseason. And by flaming out, I mean, they made it to the NBA Finals two years ago, and they made it to Game 7 against the Heat. And look, maybe if Jason Tatum doesn't turn his ankle... In that game, maybe they beat the Heat because the Celtics had come out of that 0-3 hole and Tatum at that point was outplaying Jimmy Butler in those three games compared to the first three games. Maybe they win. So flaming out is maybe harsh of a term, but I do feel like now they finally have that versatility 
in the offense where it's not, hey, we just have to rely on threes. And I know at times people get caught up and, hey, they take too many threes. And I totally understand that. But it does feel like now they do sort of have a cheat code that they can push. And to Tatum's credit, too, he's been unbelievable in the post this season. Over the past month and change, he's getting to the free throw line more. But this is something that they've never had, which is this offensive weapon. And I do really, I'm really interested, not that I want them to be in these positions, but when it does get stale in the postseason, how often are we going to see Missoula press the Porzingis button? Because we've seen over the past couple of weeks when they're getting in trouble, hey, let's get it to Kristaps Porzingis at the free throw line and good things happen. So that to me is, I loved the idea of bringing him in to begin with, even if it meant that you had to get rid of Marcus Smart. I was kind of over the smart thing, but I th- this has been way better than I think anybody could have imagined. Like, he's been that good. No, I agree. I agree. I completely agree. He's been phenomenal. And also, he plays with an edge that I didn't know he had. You know what I mean? Like, there's, yeah. there's he plays with an attitude that I did not know he had. Um, so that's been fun. And then the other addition, I, I guess the Drew Holiday is, um, it's funny. It's like when you don't notice him, that's when he's at his best. It, it almost feels like with Drew Holiday, and he's been really good, really solid. And that that OKC game, you noticed that Drew Holiday was not having a good night. Like it was just very noticeable that he was having a, a tough night, a bad night, um, which I, I thought just kind of speaks to, to how good he he is on a consistent basis. That you you don't really see that from him very often. Yeah, and I thought it was weird in that OKC, OKC game that they didn't go back to him. That they kept. Richard on the floor at the end of the game and look Pritchard deserves to be rewarded for playing well but it's kind of like okay when you need stops at the end of the game do you want the guy that is like six foot four an elite defensive <laughs> player or do you want Peyton Pritchard out there nothing against Peyton Pritchard but we saw Jalen Williams just go right through him right and have an easy opportunity so that's the one thing that kind of like uh, you know maybe at I that know. point put I know back but in like the game. Drew Hall it- Drew hadn't shown you anything to that point. True, so that's true. You know, if you brought if you brought him back in and he gets run over, it's like, well, we already saw this. Like, you know, it just it just felt like a night where you didn't have it. And it's game thirty three of the regular season, so you know they were they were there. They were one stop away. All right, and how about you have a pet peeve with this team? And I know we're nitpicking here because they're the best team in the NBA. But is there an issue that you have right now with this group? You know, it's. Probably not. There's really not too much to to dislike about this group. Um, I'd like to see a little more O'Shea Brissett at times. Yes. I'd like to see see more (laughs) the Syracuse guy. Uh, I'd like to see, like, some of that energy because I just think that that can give them a a different look as far as rotation players go. Um, There's still some times where, where it's a little too much on the ISO ball every once in a while, but I think that's just the NBA. Like you're going to get that. You're going to get possessions where that happens. So, no, I mean, I, for the most part, find this team enjoyable to watch and, and don't have a problem with, uh, with much of that. I mean, like my pet peeves last year were, and maybe you still get a little bit of it this year where you get, you get guys asking for, for a T every once in a while where it's like, I, th- I thought for sure Tatum was going to get one against OKC. And I think Missoula decided I'm going to step out here. I'm going to get one myself. <laughs> so he doesn't need yeah. to get one. Or I'm just like, no, 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 no. Let's, let's not do that because, you know, he had the game earlier this year, Tatum picked up his second team. He was out of the game, which he shouldn't have, but he did. But it's like, well, maybe he didn't need to earn the first one, you know? Um, so maybe that's just a little bit because last year, like Grant Williams used to drive me crazy when it came to asking for the text. So, um, 
I, I, I'd like to see them still kind of get away from that. But again, that's the NBA and that's going to happen. Yeah, and Porzingis does it a lot too. Porzingis picks up. I'm worried about yes. like him or Tatum like missing a playoff game because yeah. of the accumulation of the tees that they're going to cost themselves a game. Because we've seen that happen in the NBA before. Not to compare anybody to Draymond Green, but we saw Draymond Green miss playoff games because of that. The, the one thing that irritated me in the game the other night, I mentioned this on my post-game pod, is I didn't understand the Al Cornette minutes together. When it, OKC doesn't play big, I don't understand like what you were doing there. And they got... They played seven minutes together. They got outscored by 13 points. And it's weird to me that Missoula has leaned into double big. Like, I figured, okay, that was kind of an Eme thing, I thought. So was, that, to me, it's when it's Al and Porzingis, it's good. Like, that, that's a fine double big lineup, and it's actually been really productive. I just, I don't understand Cornette and Al together. That one, I don't understand the upside you get offensively, and you certainly get no upside defensively, because they've actually, I mean, their numbers have been bad with Cornette on the floor defensively. Uh, 116 rating, they're 5.2 points per 100 worse. So that one to me is strange. Going back to your point, I'd like to see more Brissett. They like rebound incredibly well offensively when Brissett's on the floor. So I don't know why he sometimes plays and he sometimes doesn't play, but I'd like to see more Brissett. My one big pet peeve, and I've kind of alluded to this in the past on the pod, is, and this is my one issue with Tatum, I don't understand the fixation with the pull-up threes and the step-back threes. Because catch-and-shoot, he's closer to 45% than he is 40 on catch-and-shoot threes. If you go to pull-up threes, he takes 5.7 a game, the sixth most in the NBA. And it's all guards around him, like no forwards, all guards. He shoots 29.2%. Last year, was 4.8 attempts. That was the ninth most, 29.1%. And I get he can get to that shot. But we see it all the time where it's like the Pistons game, Three times he took a step back three on James Wiseman. It's James Wiseman. Just go by him. We saw it in the game against OKC. Chet Holmgren. Just go yeah. by him. Like you can easily go by Chet. And this is no disrespect to Chet. Like he's going to be an outstanding player, but you're an elite athlete. You can get by him. If that number, that 5.7 number was just down to 2.7. And I get he can get to that shot. And we've seen him hit big ones in the playoffs before. But I just, I can't comprehend the volume because his post numbers are outstanding. Actually, his isolation numbers are really good this season. If you look at his mid-range numbers, they've been much better this season. His finishing at the rim is the best it's ever been. We know he can get to the free throw line. So I don't know. Maybe Eddie House can answer this question, but I, I don't know why he takes so many pull-up threes. It's baffling to me. All right, you, just, you just sparked a, a, another pet peeve I have, and that's their final possession I, I don't know, the final possession possessions. I don't know if that's how you want to say that. Like when they've got the ball for the final possession of a quarter or of a half or of the game, those possessions drive me crazy because they just get completely away from their offense. You, you've seen it at the end of games uh, trying to go for the win, but then you also saw it like in the OKC game at the end of the first half where it's like, what? There's, there's 20 seconds left on the clock. I was like, I, I'd rather there was 32 seconds left and OKC still gets a possession because at least, you know, the Celtics are going to run some offense Right. You're going to get a good look. Instead, I, and, and Tatum hit a ridiculous shot at the end of the half an hour, but it was still it was a bad shot. It's just, I, I don't understand why they get such bad looks with expiring clocks. Why do they get such bad looks when they're trying to take the final shot? I'm with you. That That is irritating because they wait so late to get into everything. It's like the screen won't come until there's like six seconds left. So you don't have a lot of options left at that point. And I guess they're... I guess their answer would be, hey, we don't want to give the other team an opportunity, but I'd rather get a good shot at the end of these yeah. quarters. And that's something I'm interested in the playoffs, right? Is like, is Missoula going to call? Because usually these are just like natural plays. I know sometimes they're play calls, but 
their best offense late in games at times has been just to give the ball to Porzingis or Derek White, Porzingis pick and roll. And that means Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum aren't getting the ball. Maybe they are off the ball, but they're not starting the possession with the ball. Like, would Missoula have the balls to run something through White and Porzingis at the end of the quarter or the end of a game? Like, that's a bold thing to do. But to me, like, that's more efficient. And I do wish that they'd be like more rigid with play calls down the stretch of games. Because I think what we've learned, to your point about the late possessions or late game possessions, they don't have the credibility that they're going to make the right decisions. Like Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, they're great players. But how many times have we seen that where they've made the wrong decision down the stretch of the games or they've dribbled the ball off their legs? So I I do, that is one concern is like, hey, these end of quarter things, end of game things, like five minutes left in a playoff game, it's game five with a chance to go up three games to two in the Eastern Conference Finals. What's the offense look like? Yeah, no, I, it's it's funny. It's like they haven't quite gotten over that hump yet. They haven't quite gotten to that point where you're confident that they're going to make the right player and get the right shot. You know, I mean, the the, the last big one that well, there's there's there'd have to have been more. But, you know, you remember the one like Tatum over LeBron in L.A. last year. Derek White yep. had the putback, but that was a putback. You know what I mean? That wasn't the offense. That was uh, you're lucky they didn't. No one, no one was there on the weak side to rebound, and Derek White was was there and had enough time to tip that thing back up and in. Otherwise, they just still waiting to see that. Still waiting for them to kind of get over that hump and, and be able to execute there. How about that shot Derek White hit the other night against OKC in the corner? From the corner, that, yeah, moon ball. I'm like, geez. Every time <laughs> this guy takes a shot late in the game, I think it's going in and falling away in the corner. Which, like, it, you think about that, uh, it, the geometry of it, too, because the corner is, like, literally behind the backboard. So that almost has to be a moon ball, especially if you're falling away. Like, that was that was crazy. He's just, he's on a, he's on another level. Just, you know, and, and now he's a hockey player, too. He's getting split open on, on the eyebrow yeah. and getting yeah, stapled up. You know, he's a hockey player now, too. I wonder if one of them two guys, either him or Porzingis, if one or both gets... The nomination. I know the Celtics are pushing hard for Derek White and his teammates are pushing hard. I saw Drew Holiday after I think it was two games ago, like God, I think it was the Spurs game. Like he interrupted the post game interview and he's like Derek White all star, like when Derek White was getting interviewed. But I they both have a case to make the team. And I know like he'll probably be the only one that Derek White makes. Porzingis has obviously made it before, but I wonder if they get two. I mean, usually when you have a team that this is that is this good, twenty six and seven, you usually get three or four all stars. Yeah, uh, I mean, I guess time will tell. I I don't really get too wrapped up into the All Star thing, um, but it's it kind of it could be challenging to get that many guys. But you know what? It's it's weird. It's like I, I don't know if he cares, which is which is also a good thing about him. Like I, I'm not I'm sure he would love that and it'd be great, but it's just uh, he, he feels like he just loves winning basketball and and making the right plays, and that's what he does. Yeah, no doubt about that. I, I love watching him play. By the way, Drew Carter, the new play-by-play guy for NBC Sports Boston, man, he's got some lines, dude. He, he, yeah. He will, what did he say the other day? Instead of the jam, the king of the jam went with the jelly when he's talking about <laughs> Jalen Brown. I'm like, where the hell did he pull that one out of? I don't know. He's got some good ones there. They've, they've got a pretty good reporter going right now, him and Scal. So uh, it's been fun to see to see that grow. But yeah, another Syracuse guy for you too, right? Yeah, he is another Cuse guy. You heard him the other day too. Like he's on, he's all over the place now. He's on Sports Center. So, oh yeah, yeah. Yep. I've enjoyed his, I've enjoyed his play calls. I think he's, I think he's been really good. Obviously, Gorman in the final season. So, 
And it, it now he's starting to get some wins. Like for a while there, it was like the Celtics were undefeated <laughs> at home. Gorman, Gorman's still undefeated on the season, right? I mean, there's only away game was the Knicks game. So I don't think they've I lost when so. Gorman called the game. I think you're right. I think, I think that was the only one. Like, I don't know if there was another one or not. Yeah, pretty wild. So Gorman may go undefeated on the season if the Celtics refuse to lose a home game. All right, that is Tom Giles from NBC Sports Boston. Giles, thanks so much for the time, man. Really enjoyed it. Absolutely. Absolutely. We'll do it again. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. I was traveling internationally last year. I was in Mallorca. I didn't know the island well. I said, let me head to the north, head towards the water. Let me go on Hotels.com and see what they have available. Something preferably on the beach, maybe even a gym. Not only did I get those things, there was a kid's session with exercise, gymnastics in the water, pony rides, a train. It had everything, and I didn't even want any of those things. But at least I knew they were there just in case I changed my mind. And now finding the perfect hotel has never been easier thanks to the Hotels.com app. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly, right, all-inclusive or a relaxing spa weekend, you can find exactly what you need and compare hotel prices, ratings, and amenities side by side. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. I was traveling internationally last year. I was in Mallorca. I didn't know the island well. I said, let me head to the north, head towards the water. Let me go on Hotels.com and see what they have available. Something preferably on the beach, maybe even a gym. Not only did I get those things, there was a kid's session with exercise, gymnastics in the water, pony rides, a train. It had everything, and I didn't even want any of those things. But at least I knew they were there, just in case I changed my mind. And now finding the perfect hotel has never been easier thanks to the Hotels.com app. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly, right, all-inclusive or a relaxing spa weekend, you can find exactly what you need and compare hotel prices, ratings, and amenities side by side. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app. Welcome back into Off the Pike. Great stuff there from Tom Giles. Joining us now, producer extraordinaire, Jamie McClellan. Jamie, what's going on, man? How are you? I'm chilling, Brian. Doing well. How are you? I'm doing well, man. No no complaints. Getting ready for the final week of the Patriots mm-hmm. season and then see what falls out on Monday, whether or not Bill Belichick's going to be the coach or not. It's going to be fascinating. I would love to be a fly on the wall with that craft Belichick meaning. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be insane. Considering, too, like they've been together for so long, just wild that it's gotten to this point. I forget what I was reading. It wasn't in Callahan's article, but someone said, you know, if it was up to Jonathan, Belichick would have been out like a decade ago. So I guess if you heard any beef between those two. Well, if Jonathan thought that he would have been wrong because he won Super Bowls in 14, 16 and 18. Right. Like he would have been wrong when it comes to that. Well, I can see that. Like he wants his own team. Right. Right. All right. That's why I think, too, like the whole Germany thing where it came out like, hey, the Crafts had decided to move on from Bill. I think that was probably Jonathan leaking that mm-hmm. information and not Robert, right? Yeah, that could be. All right, so let's get to our picks from FanDuel. So not a surprise. I've said basically all week that I like the Patriots to win and screw up their draft pick even more that they're going to actually win this game against the Jets and win their 16th straight, as we mentioned with Giles. I'm actually going to go with an alternate spread, Jamie. I'm going to take the Pats to cover six and a half, and you can get that at plus 200. The reason for that is Trevor Simeon is horrible. Okay, in parts of four games, two touchdowns, four picks, completing 58.6% of his passes, only Taylor Heineke is worse among qualifiers. 
a 63.9 passer rating. That is dead last. This is Bill Belichick's possible last game as the Patriots head coach. And as I've said, I don't want it to be, but it could be his last game. There's no way he's losing to the Jets and Trevor Simeon in his last game, especially considering the Jets thing right now, it's more dysfunctional than the Patriots thing. We have Aaron Rodgers saying stupid shit on Pat McAfee's show. We have Zach Wilson is now, he's dealing with, he's still in concussion protocol. You have Robert Sala trying to talk about Zach Wilson's future. And Robert Sala is not very good when it comes to press settings. You've just had the Delvin Cook situation. Not that he was helping them on the field. His longest run of the season was 14 yards. But this whole thing comes up in the final week of the season where he wants out. Garrett Wilson has been aggravated all season long. I just don't feel like the Jets have the motivation to win on Sunday. Like, I don't even think the streak matters to these guys. Like, I really don't. I think the Jets want the season to be over more than the Patriots do. And unfortunately, like, what's in the best interest of the Patriots franchise is to lose. I don't think it's going to happen. I think they're going to beat the Jets. Yeah, I think you're right. And um, you mentioned at the top of the show that Belichick, he hasn't lost the locker room. And I mean, it certainly looks like the, that Salah has. He looked completely checked out his last press conference. So I hear you on that. They look they look done. Um, I wish I had thought of that because I just took Patriots minus one and a half. I don't know why their spread isn't higher, though. Like, how is it only one and a half points? They're at home. It's like, this is crazy. So that makes sense. I think either way, it's it's good money. But um, one little wrinkle, though, right? You see there's some uh, some snow coming to Foxborough this weekend? Yeah. How does that impact it? Well, yeah, I don't know. Can't, can't wait to shovel this weekend, man. That'll be a ton <laughs> of fun. I love shoveling. I just wonder about, like, uh, you know, obviously Simeon can't pass the ball, but I wonder if that'll affect the passing game in general because I guess our running backs look okay, but that could impact the game, I suppose. Yeah, I'm looking at it, though. Isn't most of the snow supposed to come on Saturday? Yeah, like that could be. It could taper off by the time. Yeah, I think most of, like, most of the weather comes in Saturday into Sunday, so they should have time um, to get this sort of better by that point but yeah it's i'm not personally i'm not looking forward to the snow whatsoever (laughs) Frank, come on where's your holiday spirit the only time i like the snow is when i ski man other than that it's a hassle all right so okay so that's so we both like the pats i took the alternate spread i'm gonna do my final money leg parlay of the regular season this is for plus 414 bills to beat the dolphins and win the division and the dolphins We've mentioned this, like, they're banged up right now. Bradley Chubb, their best pass rusher, is hurt. Like, the Dolphins have had a tough stretch of injuries in the final couple of weeks here. And then I like Houston to beat Indy. That's on Saturday night. I just like C.J. Stroud. I think he's playing really good football, so I think they win. And they have something to play for. They can possibly still win the division. And so they're going to have to win Saturday because they don't know the result of Sunday's games, obviously. So that game is on Saturday. I like Houston to win that game. And then Jacksonville plays Tennessee on Sunday. If Jacksonville wins, they win the division. So I think Jacksonville wins that game. They beat Tennessee. Tennessee's been a dumpster fire. Vrabel's pissed off right now, if you saw his press conference the other day. And they will know the result of Saturday night, too. Like, if they're like, hey, Houston won. We got to get going. We got to win this game. So I think they win. And then the last one, Dallas to beat Washington. Washington has no incentive to win. Right now, they're trying to get that number two pick, right, in terms of we talk about it with the Patriots, but Washington, there's no chance they're going to beat Dallas, especially considering Dallas, They can, there's a way they can still win the division, but if they win this game, they win the division, and right. the Eagles Easy. do not win the division. So they're going to beat Washington. So that's my money lake parlay, plus 414, Bills to beat the Dolphins, Houston to beat Indy, Jacksonville to beat Tennessee, and then 
Houston, or excuse me, then Dallas to beat Washington. Now, one other wrinkle here that I think is just interesting in terms of the Bills, and I talked about this a little bit with Giles, they're not the same team as they were a season ago, and Diggs has not been like the factor that he has been since no. he got really his whole career. I mean, he was great in Minnesota too. It's it's weird that he doesn't have a 100 yard game in forever, but it is kind of crazy that if you think about this and the Patriots made Josh Allen look pedestrian, they could still win the division after all this stuff that we've been talking about all season. And remember the beginning of the year, Oh, Miami, they they've changed the NFL with how they play yeah. offense and the motion and all this, the bills could still win the division and then you start to think about the AFC playoffs. Obviously, right now, the Ravens are the number one overall yeah. seed. Wagon. They're a wagon and all that. Like, they look unbelievable. But Lamar still is not a proven postseason quarterback yet. Like, he has been bad in his limited postseason time. The Bengals are not going to be in the postseason with Joe Burrow. Kansas City is not the same team right now. We saw Buffalo beat Kansas City. Mm-hmm. Buffalo has beaten a lot of good teams this year. Like, as bad as they looked against the Patriots, if they get in, man, like as crazy as this sounds, like Buffalo has a legitimate chance. I, I but totally. I mean, the, the question is, though, uh, if they get in, actually, because I have fins. That's my pick of the week, Brian, because you like the I Dolphins. Mean, like, I like the Dolphins. I don't know. Wow. I mean, how can the Bills win the division? Obviously, they win on Sunday. They win the division. It's that simple. But like. Just from like a mindset, it's like I, I can't find that compared to what the Dolphins have done this year. I think they want it bad. You know, they're playing at home. And I just think it's the, it's their year for the AFCs. They won in 15 years. I just think they're going to be really motivated. And obviously, they got spanked last week against the Ravens, but the Ravens are wagon, like we said. So I just think they're going to be really motivated to win this game. And it's just like I, I just can't believe that the Bills are going to win three AFCs in a row, given how weird this year's been. But... That being said, whoever gets into the playoffs, they're dangerous. But just I'm picking the Miami at home. My, it seems like a decent value. I mean, one of us is going to be right. One of us is going to be wrong. Yeah. I mean, the Bills did hammer them earlier this season. So maybe there's some motivation coming from that. And also the motivation to win the division. Like, that's yeah. obviously impactful as well. Now, Miami's already clinched a playoff spot. So they're in the playoffs. But they can clinch, of course, the division with the win. I just like the Miami thing. The thing that worries me about them, every time they play a good team, with the exception of what, Dallas? They beat Dallas two weeks That's ago, it. Yeah. Yeah, like they lose to the Bills. They lose to the Chiefs. They got killed by yeah. Baltimore. It feels like every time they play a good team, they lose. I mean, it would certainly help them if they could pull off this win, not just for seeding purposes, but just from a confidence perspective, because they haven't looked like the same team down the stretch of the season. The one- and I, I do think that Chubb injury is major. And we don't know if uh, Howard's going to play either. He's dealing with a foot issue. Uh, the defense has some uh, trouble. The one thing that they are 7-1 and one at home, so they definitely have been playing better at home. And True. Yeah, I mean, that is a good point. They, they're they a much better home team. All right, you got anything else? That's my money-like parlay and my Patriots pick for the week. My One other thing is kind of connected to that uh, Finns game. I, I'm trying to be a little more conservative, so I'm not parlaying these two things together, but FanDuel has this interesting thing where it's both teams, the Bills and the Dolphins, have a rushing touchdown and a passing touchdown, and it's a plus 190. The Dolphins have a great offense, and they have a banged-up defense. So that, yeah. to me, tells me a lot of offense. I mentioned this in the pod a couple weeks ago. Josh Allen has been unbelievable rushing touchdown-wise. He's 42 total touchdowns. So he's already, you know, I think a pretty safe bet to cover that just by himself. And then Miami has the most points scored this year, obviously, and they have pretty good balance. They have 29 passing touchdowns and 26 rushing touchdowns. So. Pretty good right there. What do you think of that? 
Yeah, I like that one because I, I think it definitely is going to happen for the Bills because Josh Allen's going to have at least yeah. one passing touchdown and he probably himself is going to run away. Yeah. What was it last week? He had two rushing touchdowns against the Patriots, right? It's every week this guy is a rushing touchdown. So I like that in, especially considering on the other side of things, Miami is a high-powered offense and the game's not in Buffalo, it's at home. So I do like that one. All right, here's the other prediction. How many coaches do you think we have fired? So when I'm looking at it right now, we're going to have... Obviously, like Las Vegas doesn't count because that's like an interim coach right now with Pierce. So that's not really like a coach getting yeah. fired. But in terms of on Monday, Ron Rivera is going to be gone. You agree on that? Out. I don't think anybody's gone in the north. I think Iberflus has done enough to keep his job. Right. I believe that Arthur Smith is going to be out. Now, if they win, obviously yeah. a different scenario, but I think they're going to lose. We already know that Carolina has fired its head coach everybody it it would appear would be safe in the nfc west and i'm looking at the afc right now tomlin do you see that like would they move on from tomlin if they miss the play i I don't think so i don't think think they'd move on from tomlin i think he's safe as well he's you know he never had a losing season so i'll give him a break yeah and obviously kansas city's not moving on from andy Reid, and then denver sean payton's got too big of a contract if anything we're gonna find out like russell wilson's gonna yeah, Russell Wilson's going to get cut. And then in the South, the only question would be really is Vrabel. But I don't think Vrabel would be a firing. Vrabel would be, hey, we're hearing Vrabel Great. wants to leave. Go to a different team, right? Like, that could certainly happen. So I think we're going to get less fire. Like, maybe the the Tampa Bay, New Orleans right, situation. Good. Yeah, maybe that's one where Dennis, like, the, the, maybe it's a loser goes home game. Yeah. Well, it literally is. But I mean, like in terms of the coaches, like the Falcons, three of them, right? Yeah. The Falcons and the Saints, the loser of that game, the coach gets fired, whether it's Dennis Allen for the Saints or Arthur Smith for the Falcons. One of those two coaches gets fired. That's what I'll say. I'll say that happens. I think those that those could be I think the only other two that we have mentioned is obviously Bill Belichick. And then um, also. Right. Bill. Yeah. And then I I forgot that because we've talked about it so much. Yeah, right. And then some rumblings about, uh, not rumblings so much, but just uh, a lot of expect- expectations in Dallas, I feel like. So if they get bounced again in the first round. Right. Like, yeah. But that one obviously wouldn't happen oh, Monday. Right. Good, point. Like, Good point. But yeah, that, that one certainly could happen, especially if they think like there's a, a coach. Yeah. If they think there's a coach out there. And then the other wild card with this whole thing is Harbaugh. Is Harbaugh coming back to the NFL with everything that's gone on with him and the NCAA the Big Ten. I still can't believe. Did you see that Connor Stallions guy was at the Rose Bowl? Bizarre. Very bizarre. Chase, Chase Winovich, uh, of all people, put it on IG. Chase Winovich. Interesting. He was was yeah. he Wolverine? Yeah, he's a Michigan guy. Yeah. I could see, I could see, you know, they win the national championship. He feels like he he's accomplished what he's accomplished in the NCAA and coming back. And if he doesn't want to deal with the, like the NCAA anymore, and he sees right. like, hey, Herbert, because he'd he'd be the most attractive coaching candidate if he actually like, I know that like, you look across the NFL, like who's the number one candidate right now in terms of the head coaching market would probably be Ben Johnson, yeah, right? The Lions Johnson. offensive coordinator. If Harbaugh's there, like he takes that crown immediately. And Harbaugh's like to his credit, like obviously he's got this cheating stuff going on at. Michigan, but yeah, San Diego he won, Stanford he won, San Francisco he went yeah, to what three consecutive NFC title games, and he went to a Super Bowl, the famous game where the lights went off against Baltimore, sure. and now at Michigan three Horrible. consecutive trips to the college football playoff, and 
now he's in the championship game. I, I mean, obviously, the, that's an amazing resume. I'm always a little wary of these college guys coming back. I feel like, you know, take your foot off the gas pedal a little bit, you know, in terms of the style of play and stuff. But, I mean. I could see is. that if it hasn't worked, but it's worked. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it's worked for him, you mean, or in, across other for him. college coaches? Like, for him, for him. For him, uh, San Francisco, three Bill consecutive conference. Yeah, yeah, Bill O'Brien, different story, but three consecutive conference championship yeah. games for Harbaugh. Like, for him individually, it's right. worked. Yeah, for sure. Matt Rule, not so much. I know. We'll see if they can. Do you think anyone's going to take that job down in Carolina? Or you think it's just going to remain vacant next year? Uh, I think it'll be some like <laughs> some like random coordinator. They're not getting any big name guy. That's not a good job, especially considering the, the it seems like the owner's an idiot too, David it's Tepper. Job. Throwing uh, drinks at people. He what do you get fined? Like three hundred thousand. He got yeah fine three. They said less than one percent of one percent of his worth. Yeah, yeah, that'll teach him. All right, Jamie, good stuff, man. Thank you, Brian. All right, as always, make sure to get your voicemails in six one seven three nine six seven one seven two. Email your thoughts and questions to offthepike at gmail Thanks to Jamie McClellan and Steve Sturdy for producing this podcast, and we'll talk in a couple of days. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino, LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com RG in Colorado, Iowa, Kentucky, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, and Virginia. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text Next Step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org in Connecticut. 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700, or visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas, 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana, visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland, visit 1800gambler.net in West Virginia, or call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gamblinghelplinema.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts or call 1-877-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY in New York. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. When I went on my last holiday to Cape Town, it was amazing. My friends were there, the weather was phenomenal, and most importantly, the food was fantastic. But one thing I struggled with was finding the right places to stay. You know, all I want is a great bed, a fantastic shower, and breakfast that doesn't end at 8 a.m. I'm on holiday, I'm still sleeping. I also like Ease, and the Hotels.com app easily helps me to find a perfect hotel for every trip. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly getaway or a relaxing spa weekend, on the Hotels.com app, you can compare up to five hotels side by side. Now, why would you want to do that? So you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings. And best of all, you don't have to switch back and forth between options. See? Ease. So, start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today.